The comments, conclusions, findings, and opinions expressed by contributors of this podcast do not necessarily reflect the official position or policy of the Department of Defense or the United States government. The use of trade names or commercial entities is for identification only and does not imply endorsement by the Department of Defense or the United States government. Welcome back to the Tactical Combat Casualty Care Podcast. This is Monty from the Joint Trauma System and the Committee on TC3. On this edition, we are discussing the recent change in inclusion of pelvic binders in the TC3 guidelines. We have Dr. Stacy Shackelford. She is an Air Force Trauma Surgeon and Chief of Education and Performance Improvement at the Joint Trauma System. She is a member of the Committee on TC3 and was the lead for the p- recent pelvic binder proposal. Welcome, Colonel Shackelford. Thank you. All right, so we'll just start it off. What was the approximate cause for this change in the TC3 guidelines? I think the real reason this came to the attention of the TC3 committee uh, this year was uh, it was brought to our attention by one of our liaison officers from the UK, Captain Stephen Bree, who was asked to present the three things that he would change about the TC3 guidelines. And uh, he mentioned that the United Kingdom is very aggressive about early placement of pelvic binders, particularly for dismounted glass injuries. Uh, so it really brought it to the attention of the committee. Um, This was previously considered by the committee in 2008, and uh, the decision at that time was made that there was inadequate evidence to support uh, including pelvic binders in the TC3 guidelines. Uh, So that really caused us to reconsider the question of pelvic binders. What was the background and evidence about pelvic injuries that made the committee reconsider pelvic binders? Uh, So in reviewing the evidence, it turns out that 26% of service members who died during Operation Iraqi and Enduring Freedom also had a pelvic fracture. And up to 40% of those patients who have hemodynamic instability from bleeding pelvic fractures will die. So a very high mortality rate associated with bleeding pelvic fractures. Also, the anterior compression or open book fracture is associated with the highest mortality rate, up to 48%. And those fractures in particular are amenable to compression with a pelvic binder. So for all of those reasons, uh, we thought that was important to consider pelvic binder placement. Okay. Does a pelvic binder stabilize a pelvic fracture? So the answer to that is uh, yes, it does seem to. Um, It's only been shown in cadaver studies. So there have been three or actually, yeah, there's about three or four different uh, studies in cadavers where they actually looked at several combinations of pelvic binders. And that includes the three that are on the market, the three commercial devices, the pelvic binder name brand, the teapot, and the sand pelvic sling, and also the uh, improvised technique of using just a sheet as a binder. And looking at Unstable fractures that were created in cadavers and moving those cadavers around in the laboratory, uh, they have looked at things like shear forces and angular motion and have been able to demonstrate that there is a reduction in motion with the pelvic binders on. Okay. Does a pelvic binder control bleeding from a fractured pelvis? So that's kind of like the million dollar question and uh, difficult to prove. We think that most of the bleeding from the pelvic fracture comes from the pelvic venous plexus, which is in the posterior part of the pelvis. 
Uh, however, about 10 to 15% of the time, there can be arterial hemorrhages, which is due to a laceration usually of the branch of the internal iliac artery. And so depending on the fracture pattern, um, we think that stabilizing the fracture can definitely help to reduce uh, the bleeding, uh, but again, it depends on the fracture pattern. So the most easily compressible fracture pattern is the open book uh, pelvic fracture, and that is also the type of pelvic fracture that is associated with the highest mortality rate. So that's the one kind that's most uh, amenable to compression with a pelvic fracture. There are other types of bleeding that may not be compressible, such as uh, like if it's a stable fracture pattern, especially from a penetrating wound, most likely that's not going to be compressible. Unfortunately, the studies that are out there right now have all been done uh, on pelvic binders that were placed after the patient arrived to the hospital. So there's literally no information currently on pre-hospital application of pelvic binders. Um, there are two studies that did show a reduction in blood transfusion if you put the pelvic binder on once they did arrive to the hospital. So overall, do we think a pelvic binder can improve survival? Unproven at this time. There's only limited data that has even begun to look at that. One study out of Germany did show that for patients, again, who got the binder put on after they did arrive at the hospital, there was a reduced mortality rate for those who got the pelvic binder. However, there have been other studies that showed no benefit in survival. And again, no studies looking at pre-hospital application of pelvic binder. Okay, from a pre-hospital point of view, is there any harm in applying a pelvic binder? In general, there's very, very little risk associated with pelvic binder application. There is a theory that pelvic binder placement could worsen the displacement in certain types of fractures, such as like a lateral compression injury. Uh, however, in practice, that's never been shown to cause harm. And so there's really, in general, more benefit than risk in applying a pelvic binder. The pelvic binder does stay on a very long time. It can, like more than 12 hours or so, it can lead to skin necrosis over the pressure points. And that's something that uh, can actually cause delays in surgical fixation and other problems. So uh, that is a minor concern. Okay, given the TC3 casualty population, who, who should get a pelvic binder? We did look at all of the uh, studies that are out there as far as uh, uh, ways to identify the population who will benefit the most. And I think the one study that's the clearest is a study out of the UK trauma registry looking at casualties with the combination of uh, dismounted blast injury, which includes amputations. And in that population, the incidence of pelvic fracture is extremely high. Uh, overall, 22% of patients with amputation from a dismounted blast had a pelvic fracture, and if they had bilateral above-knee amputations, it was 39%. And so uh, the authors in that study concluded that dismounted blast with amputation is a strong indication for pelvic binder placement. So that's probably the clearest indication that we have right now. Uh, there's other studies, uh, largely out of the UK, uh, where they looked at other risk factors, and uh, in those studies, the risk factors were identified to be high heart rate more than 120 or systolic blood pressure less than 90, uh, which 
suggests hemodynamic compromise or a decreased GCS less than 13 or any other distracting injuries. Basically, looking at all the combinations and the studies that we reviewed, the indications that we selected for TC3 included any type of severe blunt force or blast injury as the mechanism of injury that's associated with pelvic pain or any major lower limb amputation or near amputation, any other physical exam findings suggestive of a pelvic fracture or unconsciousness, which limits your ability to do a physical exam or evidence of hemorrhagic shock. Okay. What, are, what is the best type of pelvic binder that we found so far? So there's no study currently that shows that any type of pelvic binder is better than any other, even uh, including to include the improvised sheet wrapping. So the three that are on the market include pelvic binder name brand, Sam Pelvic Sling, Sling and the T-Pod, uh, as well as just the improvised uh, techniques. And all of those have been shown to be more or less equivalent in the studies that are out there. We do think that the commercial devices are probably easier and simpler to apply than an improvised device and should be preferred. Okay. Where does the pelvic binder fit into the priorities of TC3? So looking at March, the March algorithm as setting your priorities, we selected that it should fit under C for circulation. And, uh, as a means of hemorrhage control. And it should be uh, implemented after the control of massive external hemorrhage and before tourniquet reassessment and IV placement. Okay. What overall recommendations of pelvic binders do you have? Uh, I mean, that's not already covered. What else What else would you recommend about pelvic binders for TC3? Um, I think in general, it should be uh, emphasized that the pelvic binder is for use for severe blunt trauma and blast injury, which also means that it's really not indicated for any type of penetrating trauma. Uh, the pelvic binder is the equivalent of a circumferential junctional tourniquet uh, if you don't add the, the uh, inguinal compression component of that. And so uh, those circumferential pelvic compression devices, such as the SAM junctional tourniquet, uh, could also be used as a pelvic compression device. As far as improvised techniques, I think those uh, should not be discouraged and may be a good adjunct. Uh, however, if you're going to utilize an improvised technique, you really need to train those techniques as you would train uh, the, the actual uh, commercial devices. Most improvised techniques actually require two people to implement the technique. So for instance, just wrapping a sheet around the pelvis and trying to tie it in a knot is not going to be adequate. It will take one person to hold the sheet tight and another person to secure it. Uh, we've also shown some techniques using the trousers or even uh, the combination of a SAM splint with a tourniquet to, to tighten that down. And uh, those uh, techniques are in the publication as well as the teaching material, but if you are going to consider using those techniques, it's very important to train for those in advance. Otherwise, they uh, will be unlikely to be effective. So I think what you're saying is is leave the improvised for when you truly don't have anything, but uh, plan on having a appropriate device uh, that you can you can apply if you have that kind of casualty. In summary. Okay. So what would you recommend uh, for medics training with uh, pelvic binders and preparing to use them? 
So a couple of the key points to emphasize with training is uh, one, as we mentioned uh, previously, the indications for placement of the binding binder, that's going to be very important. Uh, the second thing is to uh, emphasize the location of the binder. It is very common that the binder can be placed too high around the abdomen. And it's important to emphasize that the binder needs to be placed at the level of the greater trochanters uh, or another marker for that location is the level of the pubic symphysis, and both of those should be easily palpated. Uh, but you do have to take special precautions not to place it too high. Um, additionally, it is, a, it is uh, advisable to try to get the binder on before having to move the casualty or to move them as little as possible. In, in care under fire or other situations that, of danger where you need to get the patient out of a burning vehicle, et cetera, that may not be possible, uh, but just something to think about if it is possible. It's more ideal to place the binder directly on skin, so to cut the clothes off. Uh, but again, that, that could be um, adjusted to the tactical situation as needed. And if you have to, you can certainly place it over the clothing, but that does require uh, later on for the binder to be removed and replaced, so it's better to do it uh, in the first place. It does help to also immobilize the ankles so that the legs aren't flapping around and causing additional motion to the pelvis. So just a loose piece of tape or even a loose tourniquet around the ankles uh, as well will help further stabilize the pelvis. And if the toes are rolling out and rotating outwards, you may want to uh, tape the toes uh, of the feet together as well to help further immobilize the pelvis. So for a tactical medic, where should I put uh, uh, a casualty that I've applied a pelvic binder into my evacuation priority? Uh, I think the main consideration will just be related into the degree to the degree of hemorrhagic shock, and uh, certainly any type of patient with a pelvic fracture has likely sustained other injuries as well. It's pretty rare to have a pelvic fracture in isolation, and so this really represents a major blunt trauma injury. Uh, so I don't know that the pelvic binder alone changes your evacuation consideration. Uh, however. You, you know, you'll need to look at other uh, indicators such as their respiratory status, their uh, vital signs, and other, any other signs of hemorrhagic shock. Those would really be your main indicators. Okay. So in the process of this uh, review and change proposal, the pneumatic anti-shock garment uh, was removed from the TC3 guidelines. Do you have a comment or recommendation on that? So the pneumatic anti-shock garment has been in the guidelines uh, as a means of stabilizing and controlling pelvic fractures in the past as a, or as a holdover uh, from past experiences. And uh, with the addition of the pelvic binders, as well as the option of the junctional tourniquets, we felt that was no longer necessary to include that in the guidelines. And not too many medics carried those in their aid bags anyway. Or on their helicopters <laughs> or in their ATVs. Yeah. So thank you, Colonel Shackelford, for doing the TC3 podcast, and thanks for taking the lead on this uh, change proposal. It made a, made a lot of difference for us, I believe. Thank you very much. Thank you. You can read more about the use of pelvic binders in TC3 in the published article in the Journal of Special Operations Medicine, Spring Edition. This concludes this edition of the TC3 podcast. Please return for our next edition by subscribing through your podcast app or check back on the website. Remember that you can always find the latest TC3 information, knowledge tools, and the current guidelines at the COTSI website, www.cotccc.com. Feel free to provide feedback, ask questions, prompt discussions, or make TC3 suggestions on the feedback form of the, of the website.
Keep in mind the changes to the TC3 guidelines are always published in, in detail in the Journal of Special Operations Medicine. Our target is eliminating preventable combat death, which can be achieved with the right training and the right tools applied by the right people at the right time. As always, stay safe out there, continue saving lives on the battlefield, wherever that battlefield or deployed setting or street is in the world for you.